Matthew chapter number 6, we'll read in verse 19, very familiar scripture. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moss nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So that's all we'll read. Um, And here we're in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his first uh, real public discourse that we have record of. And the Lord here is, uh, you've got to remember for thousands of years, they've been under the, the Moses, the ceremonial law system. And by this time here, and, and you can see it through all of the Gospels, over and over again the people have taken the law and they've taken the ceremonies, they've made it carnal, they've made it fleshly works, it's a going through the motions, and they've lost the heart of the matter. They've lost the heart of the message that the law would give. And the Lord, all through this, chapter 5, 6, and 7, He's taking the law and, and legalism and ceremonies and He's setting it back in its right place, back to the heart, back to the, the spiritual need of man. So He starts here in chapter 6, uh, in the first few verses, He talks about alms and then prayer. Then in verse 16, we uh, talk about the fasting. So three uh, three religious services that was done that, that were thought very highly of by the Jewish religion and the Jewish faith. And so uh, you can see if you look in Luke at where the Pharisee was praying. He says, I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of all that I possess. They were works that men trusted in. But the Lord says here, when, when you give your alms, so that's to pay tithes. Uh, don't be as the hypocrites. And you'll see that language uh, all three times as he speaks about alms, as he speaks about prayer, as he speaks about fasting. You've got hypocrites that are there. And, and I realize that word, that's a hard word to hear in our day, but really what the word means is to be an actor under a part. You know, you watch a, a good actor in a movie or a TV show and you just you love that character that they're playing. They are so good that you believe that that's them, but that's really not who they are. They're there playing that part. They're somebody that's totally different in reality. Well, that's what a hypocrite is. It's somebody that's an actor, somebody that's putting on a show, and that's what religion is. Religion is always a show. And so he says, be not like the hypocrites. What do they do? Well, when they're paying their tithes, they sound a trumpet. They want everybody to see what they're giving. They want everybody to see how much that they give. And and when they pray, they pray standing in the synagogues in front of everybody for everybody to see. They pray loud so everybody can hear what they pray. 
they pray on the street corners where everybody's going to uh, pass by them and see them. And when they fast, they disfigure their faces. They, they want you to see just how hard that they're fasting. They want you to see just what they're putting themselves through. And in all three cases, what they're concerned about is what man thinks about them. They're looking for the attention of, in verse number 2, they're giving alms that they may have glory of men. In verse number 5, they're praying that they may be seen of men. In verse number 16, that they may appear unto men to fast. So all of their religious service is wrapped up in this. It's wrapped up in what people see about them. They want you to know what they're doing. They're concerned about the opinion and the thought of man, but the heart is completely out of the service. So in Isaiah, this is not something that's, uh, uh, that's rare. This, this happens today. It happened in Jesus' day. In Isaiah's day, the people draw near me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. They're going through a motion. They're going through a ceremony. They're going through a ritual. But as far as the heart truly being right with God, their heart is not in the service. When they get down to pray unto God, and, and we know that man ought to pray. How oft should man pray? By the New Testament, man should pray without ceasing. If we follow Daniel's example in Daniel, he prayed three times a day in the morning, at lunch, and at night time. So man ought to always be in prayer and in communication with God. And there's nothing wrong with prayer. I don't, don't think that I'm saying that in the least bit. I believe man ought to always be in prayer. It's a key part of the Christian faith that man bring himself down and communicate with Almighty God as he's given us the ability to. But these folks, as they get down to pray, they're praying that you might hear them. They're not worried about what God thinks. They're not worried about getting through to God. They're not worrying about uh, God hearing them. They just want you to know what they're praying. When they're going to give their alms. And giving tithes is commanded, Old Testament and New Testament. But when they're giving their tithes, they're not giving it to the service of God. They're giving it that man might stand in awe and in wonder of them. At how much and, and how that they get it down. Uh, the guys, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 24, they pay tithes of anis and cumin. They even get down to their little herb gardens with their little scales and they weigh out 10% of everything. But the reason they're doing that is not because they have a heart and a love to God. They're doing that for the attention and the admiration of man. And as they fast, they are openly disfiguring their faces. So you can see, well, I want you to look at how much they're suffering for the glory of God. But Jesus says that every bit of that is hypocrites. That is actors. So how does Jesus tell us when we give our alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand doeth. Now I realize that's, that's just a, a phrase. That's just a saying. 
that you would use. But Jesus is saying, I I want it to be so hidden and covered up that you're not even letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing. What does He say to do when we pray? To go into our closet and shut the door. Now that's not saying I have to go in a closet and shut the door, but He's saying to do that in secret. Not seeking or thinking about uh, what man's going to think. Not doing it so somebody can see us. And when, uh, when we fast, we should wash our face and do our very best to appear not to. So Jesus is saying these things should be done secretly. If you're doing these things to catch man's attention, if you're doing these things that man would think higher of you, and you think about in this day, and I believe you could apply it to your workplace, when somebody's of higher rank around you, when there's a higher ranking teacher or a higher ranking authority, when we would say when the deacons are around, we really want to try hard, that we might impress them and that they might think about promoting us up a little bit higher. And when those that are less than us are around, we want to really try hard so that they might say, boy, I want you to look at what a real feller that that is. Jesus says, do not seek the glory of man. But as you do these things, do them in secret. Do them hidden. Why should we do that? Because in verse number 4, the Father Himself shall reward thee openly. In verse number 6, the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. In verse number 18, the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So these hypocrites, Jesus says they do it for men and they have their reward. What is their reward? I believe they've got exactly what they want. They've got man's attention. Man is admiring them. Man is talking about how good they are. Man is looking up to them and thinking that that they're high and they're righteous but with God they've gotten nowhere. They're just like Isaiah's day. They're saying it with their lips. They're going through the motions of it. But in reality, their heart is far from me. Their affections, their love, their desire is not upon me. It's being done that man might see them. But Jesus says, seek this. You do everything that you do in secret and let God be the rewarder of it so that you don't have to come and you know, God forbid that I have to tell you that I've been praying through the week but we ought to be able to come down to the house of God and God show, God prove, God give evidence of where that we're at. I'm telling you when man tells you and when somebody starts telling you about how good they've been and the works they've been doing, that ain't a bit more God than a man in the moon. That's of man that's looking for the admiration and the attention of man, but I tell you when the Holy Spirit passes by and bears witness to the life of an individual, that's a witness that's what we ought to desire is that God would reward us and do that openly this is not me this is not the individual that's doing the rewarding they're seeking to keep everything hidden We don't want anybody to know what we're doing for God. That's what the Scripture says. We don't want anybody to know how long we've been digging in the Word of God. We don't want anybody to know how much we pray. We don't want folks to know. Well, what do you mean? We? Why why else would you you do that? 
but to have men look to you. That's the way man thinks. That's the way the Pharisees thought. Prayer was all about man seeing them. God's service was all about man seeing them. But when we're going to truly serve God, it's going to have to be separate from man. It's going to have to be that that we keep hidden. And I'll tell you what will happen. You can bank on this. When you're serving God from the heart and you're keeping your mouth hushed about it and you're not seeking the admiration of man, God will reward thee for that. God will reward you. The hypocrites, they already have all they're getting. They've got the admiration of man. We ought to want more than that. It ought to mean more to me that God reward me than that anybody on Spring Creek think highly of me. It ought to mean more to me that God would hear my prayer than anybody on Spring Creek would say, boy, I love to hear him pray. It ought to mean more to me that God recognize me as serving him than all of the churches on Spring Creek recognize me as a servant to God. Uh, the, The Word of God says here, when you pray, use not vain repetitions. So it's to be hidden, it's to be put away, it's to be in the closet, it's not seeking the glory of man. But you know what else they thought? They thought, boy, the longer we pray, the more impressive it is. So they had vain repetitions. They had repeat the same things over and over and over again. And they did that in order to stretch it out a little bit longer. Because, boy, I'm telling you, you get down to pray, that man that can pray for 20, 30 minutes, that's somebody that's right with God. Peter was sinking in the ocean, in the sea. And he didn't pray 30 minutes. He didn't have 30 minutes to pray. Elijah was up on the mountain with all the prophets of Baal. And he didn't pray. Now the prophets of Baal, they prayed from morning till evening. And they cried and they leapt and they cut themselves and they screamed and they hollered. They They ain't no telling what that sight looked like. But they prayed all day long and Elijah prayed and I believe it was about 30, 35 words that he prayed and God answered with fire from heaven. And so when we pray, don't you reckon that's what we ought to seek for? That God would uh, look upon us and that God would reward us for our labor. In order to do that, We're going to have to put away seeking the glory of man. So use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not like unto them, for you know that your Father, He knows what you have need of before that you ever ask Him. That's the kind of God we're serving. We're serving a God that knows where we are. He knows the place that we're in. He knows the spot because He's the one that's leading us. If you believe that song, that He leads through the fire, He leads through the flood, He leads through the valley, He leads through darkness, He leads on the mountaintop. I know we get down in darkness sometimes and it envelops our soul. We get in darkness sometimes and it feels like we're never going to see the light of day, but may our hearts always recognize that God is our leader and there will be light at the other end of it. He knows right where we're at. I don't have to say it a thousand times for God to get it. He knows where we are. We lay our petitions out. We make them known unto Him and we trust Him to hear what we say. Much words doesn't mean that we're guaranteed to be heard. And so Jesus then gives us the model prayer. Some some say the Lord's Prayer. 
uh, I think John 17 is more the Lord's Prayer. And he's not saying every time that you bow down to pray, <clears throat> this is what you ought to say. But he's laying out a, a type of prayer that when we pray, we need to make sure that, that these things are touched on. There's a recognition of God, our Father, which art in heaven. Recognize who that we're praying to. This isn't some deity that doesn't know who we are, that's disconnected from us. He's not like Baal who might be asleep. This is our heavenly Father. Do you know how we got into the family? The heavenly Father bore us into the family. He cared so much about us that when we were in sin and rebelling against God, He came to where we were in our sin, convicted us and brought us out of that. Now I tell you this, when you get down to pray, know this, you're not praying to a God that doesn't know anything. You're praying unto your Father that brought you out of darkness and into the kingdom of light. You're praying to the God that loves your soul, a God that has affection for you, a God that gave His own Son for your salvation and a God that reached for you in the pit and that sets you in the family of God. Amen. Not, oh God, but oh Father. Yeah. The Spirit that He's given us cries out of our heart, Abba, Father. Our Father. I can, I can cry to the boss at work, but it's not the same as me calling dad and saying, hey dad. There's a difference. The heathen and the hypocrites, they don't have a father. But the church has a father. And you know where he's at? He's not in the governor's office. And he's not in the White House. And he's not at the county seat or in the courthouse. Our father is in heaven. He's on the throne of all things. What does God have control of? What is out of God's power? There's very little trust put in God anymore. Very little faith. Uh, you know, uh, there when they're out on the water and the winds and waves are rolling and they come and say, Master, we're perishing. He calms a storm and He says, Where is your faith? I think a lot of times he's had to say that to me. Where is your faith at? Don't you know who I am and the power that I have? It don't hurt a thing to be reminded that God is in control of absolutely everything. There is nothing out of his hand. There's not one thing out of his power. There's not one thing that he can't influence and that he can't change. And in a moment it can go from light to dark. And in a moment it can go from dark to light. But we trust in our Heavenly Father knowing that He loves us and knowing that He's in authority and in power. Amen. He is. He is still in power today. He, the devil may roar and he does roar. But God still controls the devil. And He only roars what God allows Him to roar. That's the truth. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. So holy be your name. And holy's a word. Holy's a word I don't fully understand. But I know this is part of the definition. It's sanctified or consecrated or set apart. This is something I understand. 
when I've got dirty dishes in the sink and I wash one and get it clean and rinse it off, I don't put it back with the dirty dishes. But I consecrate it. I take it and I put it with the other clean dishes. I set it apart from that that's filthy. So the name of God in our hearts ought to be something that's set apart from every other thing in this world. There is nothing on this earth that compares to God. For me to compare God Almighty, the Creator, the Giver of life, the Sustainer of life, the One, it's His Word that the world, the sun, and the stars hang on. They hang on the Word of God. The fire of the sun burns by the Word of God. Who are you going to compare God Almighty to? I tell you what, you think about how little that man is. You put man in a cage with a thousand pound grizzly and he'll beg for mercy. And he'll run in fear. What's a thousand pound grizzly to God Almighty? A lot of times we've got God down here. He's down here and can't do nothing. He can't help me. This situation is too much for God. I'm afraid the devil's lied to us. There is no situation that's too great for our God. And when we pray to Him, His name ought to be set apart and sanctified in our minds as the supreme authority over all things. So thy kingdom come. Kingdom, the word, if you look it up, it means the rule. The kingdom of David was the land and the people that David ruled over. So what are we praying for here? Lord, let your rule and authority be over me. That God's rule and God's... Because we're fighting this battle every day. We're fighting this battle in the flesh and in the carnal mind and the spirit. They're battling every day. And you know what I've got to pray for? God, would you give me more grace? And and, and I say this often, would you constrain me more? Keep me from falling. Keep me from going astray. Keep me from sin. Keep me from rebellion. Would your rule and reign come and take over more of this man that I might be more like thee? Nothing wrong with praying that. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So earth, I'm going to tell you this. Until he comes back, His will won't be done on the corporate earth ever like it is in heaven. But you know what I think the prayer is for? This earthly man. That as God in heaven can command and everything is in perfect obedience to Him, that me as I live and move in this wretched, vile body, that the will of God could be done in me just like it is in heaven. And you know, sometimes... Sometimes that's a hard prayer to pray. Because sometimes the will of God is not what I want to have. Maybe that's a hard saying. But the Lord Jesus said in the garden, He said, Lord, if there be some other way, let this cup pass from Me. If there's any other way, 
Don't make me go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, but what you want be done. There was a submission in the Garden of Eden or in the Garden of Gethsemane by the Lord Jesus to the will of God. He said, I don't want to suffer this. I don't want to be mocked like this. I don't want to be stripped naked like I'm going to be. I don't want to endure the pain of the beatings and the the sufferings. I don't want to hang on the cross in front of the world. I don't want to endure this. Nevertheless, not what I want. God, you take what I want away and God help me to do your will. That ought to be our prayer as well. Help me to, to bring this wicked and this prideful and this rebellious carnal man to the will of God that's in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I believe there's two, two parts to this. I believe the obvious, the natural sustenance. In this day, it was a whole lot different than our day, especially for Christians. There were, there were many that wouldn't sell Christians anything. They wouldn't sell them food. You couldn't go in them. They were excommunicated from the Jewish religion. So what are they doing? God, would you provide for me and my family? And you know, even though today we're far more blessed, naturally speaking, than they were, we still ought to recognize that the daily bread, even that that we eat for supper tonight, God allowed us to have that. God allowed us to have our daily bread and we ought to recognize that. But this also, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you believe there's a word of God in here for me today? Do you think that tomorrow when I wake up that there could be a word of God, a a verse, a chapter that could help me that day? Lord, would you bring to my mind, would you bring to my heart, would you reveal out of the word of God that it could be a help to me today? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. You ever have to pray that? God, forgive me. That's not all it says, though. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's going to go on in verse 15. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So these two things are tied together. I, that, that, may be, that may be hard to swallow. But by the Scripture, I believe we'll have to chew on it a little and swallow it down. That if God's going to forgive me day by day, then I'm going to have to forgive day by day. And if I'm not going to forgive you, if I'm not going to forgive somebody that I work with, if I'm not going to forgive somebody in the family, then know this, God's not going to forgive me. Uh, If I expect and I desire God's forgiveness, I ought to be forgiven. You know what God's wanting? He's wanting me to be like Him in this world. He's wanting my life to reflect Him to those that we live around day by day. So, we'll move along. I've spent a lot more time here than I thought that I would. Lead us not into temptation. So think about this now. God cannot, we know, book of James, God can't tempt man to sin. We know that. So what's He talking about here? Lead us not into temptation. I, I believe you could look at you could look at Solomon. 
who was going to be put to proof by all the women that he had round about him. David, when he stayed out of the battle, he's going to be put to proof. He's going to be tested by Bathsheba down there bathing in the water. You, you can look at... Uh, uh, um, there's many others. You're go- you can see Abraham down there in, in Egypt as they look at his wife. He's going to be tried to see what he's going to do. Uh, Hezekiah, one of the great kings of Israel in the latter days. Uh, people from Babylon's going to come and he's going to be tried, the Bible says. And you know what happens every time? Man fails every time. Every time man fails the test. And I'm going to tell you this. If God's going to test you and He's not going to be with you to strengthen you, you will fail every time too. We cannot do it. So Jesus says pray that God don't put you to test. The the word means putting to proof through adversity. That God doesn't leave us. That He doesn't draw His hand off of us. Think about this. I believe you can see it real good in this picture right here. Uh, Jesus says that you're all going to forsake Me and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die. And Peter says, everybody else might be offended at you, Lord, but I'll never be offended and I'll never forsake you and I'll never fail and I'm not going to fall like that. I'm never going to do like that. And the Lord looks at him and says, Peter, before the cock crows thrice, you're going to deny me. You're going to be the one to turn your back on me and you're going to do it in a way that you never thought possible. You think you can do it? That's a bad way to think. Because I'm going to tell you, God's going to turn the heat up and in just a few days, He's going to show you how, I, I believe this, you'll do and you'll think like you never thought you would before. What's He teaching me? He's teaching me not to trust in me. He taught Peter... Peter, you can't do this. But when the heat's turned up, you're going to fail. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Again, a recognition of who God is, the power and the authority that God has. So now we come to verse 19. Uh, We've went around the world to get back to where we read. Lay not up treasures upon earth. Don't have your treasure, its deposit or uh, a wealth. Don't let your treasure be in earthly things. You know where the Pharisees' treasure was? It was in what men thought of them. It was in what men saw. It was in men's admiration. Do you know where a pile of folks trust and where their treasure is? What they love and what they desire is the admiration and the thinking and the liking of man. Their treasure is on earth and upon earthly things. But you know what happens to earthly treasure? Everything you've got. Moth, rust, decay, rot. It takes everything that's worldly. It's taken this body and your body. Our bodies are going away. Everything that you build up and that you have here, it's going to go away. It's a fleeting rich. It's a rich that only lasts 
for a few days. But he says, Lay not up treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal, uh, but lay up treasures in heaven. So instead of seeking these things that are on the earth where all of this can go wrong, and you know what the truth is? We could go home tonight and everything we have be gone. We could go home tonight and my vehicle be stolen. We could go home tonight and everything we've got gone. Well, preacher, a lot of my stuff's down at the bank. Well, you know, in the Great Depression, you know what happened on Black Friday? People woke up Friday morning and the economy collapsed and everything they had was gone. And if that's where all my hope and trust is, is in what you think of me, or it's in what I have in this world, it can easily be gone in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It could be taken from me in an instant. And if not while I live here, when you bury me in the grave, I'm going to be just like Paul said, I came into this world naked, and I'm going to leave this world naked. Nothing that I've earned or attained in this world is going to go with me. Nothing that I've got in this world is going to benefit me. Nothing in this world is going to be any good to me when I leave this world. It's all going to die here. And it'll stay here. Solomon said he hated his labor because he was going to leave it to somebody else. That would probably be foolish. That's what he said. And we're going to leave everything we've got. So lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So you think about now the heavenly riches, and I think salvation, that is the heavenly riches. When God saves a man, you know there's no moss or rust or, or canker that can get to that salvation. Though this body decays, that salvation doesn't decay. And though I'm wicked, my salvation doesn't change. And though the world may go away from God, and though the world may rebel against God, they don't take anything from Him. And though the devil may roar, he can do nothing against God. That is a deposit that is sure, that is eternal, and that cannot be taken away. The government cannot vote to take away salvation. The church cannot vote to take away salvation. You know what they did in this day? The the Sanhedrin court, the rulers of the church, they voted to excommunicate these people. Paul was excommunicated by, by the Jews. But you know what Paul was when he was cut off? He was the same saved man. He was the same apostle. They could not rob him of the glory that God had given him in this world. They took everything else. They took his head off, but they didn't change what he was. They could not take the heavenly treasure. But I think we're seeing more than just that here. As we labor, as we work in this world, let our treasure, and let's just say it like this, what we value. Let what we value not be earthly. Don't value earthly things, whether it be earthly good, earthly pleasures, 
man's opinion. That's what the Pharisees valued the most. It's what man thought of them and what their reputation was among men. I tell you, it'd be better for me if my reputation was wiped all over Spring Creek and down in the middle of the road and run over by a trash truck than it would for me to forsake and to hurt the very name of God Almighty in this world. No, I ought to be willing as Paul said. Paul said, I was a Jew. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I I was a Benjamite. I was circumcised the seventh day. I was blameless according to the law. What did Paul count every bit of that as? All of his works and all of his goodness and all of the accolades that man looked up for. Paul said, I count it all but dung that I might have Christ. It's worthless. It's refuge. It's trash. It's garbage that Christ might dwell in me richly. Paul was willing that his reputation be tarnished among men, that God be glorified. The Pharisees, they were not willing that their reputation be tarnished. They said, no, we're going to do our own thing. And we love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They, their treasure, what they valued, it was all here on this earth. And do you know what that meant? That's where their heart was. Because they valued worldly things, their heart was in the world. I I hope we can see this. But when they prayed, they did not value God hearing them. They valued man hearing them. Their heart was in the world. When they fasted, They did not fast to try to draw near to God and bring about a soberness of mind and heart that they might pray. They fasted that man might see. And because of that, because their treasure was there, that's where their heart was also. That's all that they thought about. The heart is the center of the thoughts, the feelings, and the will. And if we're not careful, our heart can be centered on worldly things and not on what God says. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And we've got a little parable, and and I'll stop in just a minute. The light of the body is the eye. Do you know how all light enters the body? Through the eyes. You shut your eyes and you shut them tight and there's no light going to enter in. The eye is the light of the body. And you know, you can be in complete darkness and your eyes still work. When the light comes on, that darkness is run away. But if our eye be evil, so what he's saying is, if your eye's diseased, if there's something wrong with your eyes and you're blind, it doesn't matter what's going on outside. doesn't matter if the sun's up or if you're down in Linville Caverns, makes no difference. And if the light that is in you is darkness, if your eyes are darkened, how great is that darkness? It's something you can't escape. If your eyes blind, your body will never have light. So with that in mind, and everything that we've looked at already, if our heart is centered in earthly things, if our desire is 
towards the earth instead of in heaven. If what we're treasuring up is worldly things and there's no labor being put into heavenly things, then how great is that darkness that even our heart does not recognize God, but it recognizes man. Can there be any worse of a condition than for me to be religious, and we'll use that term lightly there, for me to be religious for you and not for God? Ain't that something? You know that's what's going on today though? That's going on all over our world. People are religious for people. And when they're at home, and when they're behind closed doors, and when they're uh, out on their own, or when they're out with other folks, what they really are is shown. But as long as they're here, they're like the Pharisees that are whited sepulchers. Boy, they look like God's people. They look like the real thing. But their heart is far from this work. And Jesus said the whited sepulchers, they're pretty, they're decorated, they're nice to look at. You can go to Arlington Cemetery, I don't know if you've ever been there before, and all of those white crosses and it's manicured, it's a beautiful thing to see. But do you know what's down in there? Dead men's bones. Something that you don't want to see. You open up the sepulcher and the sight and the smell would run everybody off. So everybody in the church, they may think very highly of you. But if we took the lid off, what would it smell like? See, what people think, what people think is of no value to God. God's looking inward on the heart. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Let's not be deceived. Let's not think now that I need to put on a good appearance for man and be something else somewhere else. I'm telling you, that does not benefit you in the least. It doesn't benefit you in the least what the opinion of man is of you. God is looking inward at the heart, and God is the one that we ought to be concerned with the most, that our heart would be right with the Lord, that our our heart and our inward man, that that's in secret, that that's hidden, that that nobody else knows about, that that inward man be right with the Lord. All of the show, all of the loud praying, all of the testimony, all of the acting, all of the hypocrisy is of no value. God desires truth in the inward parts. May God help us to be true in the inward part. Because if if our eyes evil, our whole body is full of darkness. If our heart is aimed in the wrong direction, everything in our life is affected by that. If my heart is in the wrong spot, my prayer is affected by that. If my heart is in the wrong spot, even my tithes are affected by that. Preacher, I pay my tithes and I pray 
and I fast and try to seek God and I, I try to read the Word of God, I try to go to church, I try to do all these things. Well, friends, that's well and good. But when you get down to the heart of it, why is that? That's, that's where God's looking. That's all that's on our heart. 